I am going to ask you uh, to uh, help me because I'm breaking away from my series for a week. When we're talking in our series about, um, do you ever wonder why? And I would like to recognize something that in my 26 years of pastoral ministry, I have never taken the time uh, intentionally to take a full gathering to talk about this particular subject at this particular time of the year. And I've decided that it is paramount and important that we, that we talk about this subject together. During the season of COVID, when we were all online and everything we were doing, we were trying to be creative. We were trying to see that um, people could be ministered to in unique and creative ways. We also were experiencing in our nation, in addition to COVID, extreme uh, racial prejudice and a lot of um, uneasiness in our culture, which is still, still paramount today. I'm an elephant in the room guy, so if you're uncomfortable, well, we're addressing an elephant in the room. And, and during that time, I felt compelled to have a, com we call it an honest conversation about racial injustice. And I, one of our elders, Larry, I asked him if I could interview him online. Absolutely, very cooperative. We had this honest conversation and I learned a whole lot through talking to him about culture and life and, and discrimination. And in the, I tell you, that by far was the most watched that we've had in the history of New Life Church of anything we've done online was that one conversation, including any message we've ever posted. And the second most watched was when we reposted it a year and a half later. It, it was that popular of, of a topic. And when I thought about it and I turned the calendar and I looked and I said, it's Black History Month, I felt the Lord inspire me that let's talk about Black History Month. February is dedicated as Black History Month, honoring the triumphs and the struggles of black Americans throughout the United States history. A sobering truth is that throughout this country's history, black people in America have had to practice a form of self-liberation. Whether it was breaking away from slavery or protesting to sit in the front of the bus, being pioneers in career fields once believed to be unattainable because of their skin color and ethnicity. Ladies and gentlemen, what happened in our country in the colonial era in 1619 in the tobacco fields of Jamestown when slavery first began, through the American Revolution, through the Underground Railroad, to the Civil War, and the resistance toward Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation through its segregation of the Jim Crow era, through the civil rights movement with its abuse and bigotry toward black Americans. And I don't just wanna speak in past tense, but in present tense as well. It was and it still is wrong. And so in honor of Black History Month, and in recognition of it, I would like to take this gathering, the next few moments to speak to you on a very sensitive subject and deal with the subject of prejudice and racism as it relates to the church. I wanna to speak to you from my heart as the founder of this church some 12 years ago, as the lead pastor and as your friend. I absolutely love our church. I love our church. 
I appreciate the buildings, the facilities, the locations, but I love the people. I love you, the people of this church. And one of the things I love about our church is its beautiful diversity. When you think about all that I just stated and all the United States has gone through and continues to go through, when you look around our church, it is indeed a miracle. There is a term that I want to introduce you to today. I've been in my doctoral studies, big deal, but I've been in my doctoral studies for a long time now, and I'm concluding them this year, and I'm doing it not so I can attain some level of position, but because I just want to learn more to be able to serve you at a higher level and help our team continue to grow and develop as we try to propagate the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, I've been exposed to some things that I never dreamed that I would be exposed to from a, a, a dimension that I never even considered. And I'm so very grateful. One of the things that I've learned about is this term that defines church cultures. And I want to introduce it to you right now. It's called, you can say it one of two ways, either the homogenous or the homogeneous unit principle. And I've got it on the screen for you, but basically it's a principle. The homogeneous unit principle is a principle that states that churches grow fastest when they're made up of people from the same ethnic, economic, and educational background. Now, why would I be talking about churches? Because that's what we all have in common, because we're all at church today. This homogeneous unit principle states that churches will grow fastest when they're made up of people from the same ethnicity, when they're made up of people from the same economics, about the same uh, financial standard of living, and the same educational background. In effect, this principle really is quite true. It is quite accurate. If you want to build, and this is kind of my heart, is to build the kingdom of God. And if you want to build the kingdom of God, build, the, build a church, you want it to be big, not because you want uh, pride, but because you want more people to come to know Jesus. But the truth is, this, this principle is absolutely correct because if you target a specific group of people and you appeal to their collective wants and wishes, their wants and their wishes, your church will grow. A biblical example of this would be found in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the introduction to the church age. After Jesus died and was buried and was resurrected, he gave birth to the church. The 120 people gathered together in the upper room and the, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell. They began to speak in tongues. As the Spirit gave utterance, the church was born. Peter preached a message. 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus. Those 3,000 people that gave their lives to Jesus, most of which were from that culture. They were from the Jerusalem, from Israel. They were Jews converted to become Christians. They became followers of Jesus Christ. That church was known in the book of Acts as the Jerusalem church because it, that's like, this is the Lathrop church or that's the Modesto church because that's where it was located. The Jerusalem church was a mono-ethnic church. What do I mean by that? It was a church that reached only Jewish people who converted to Christianity. They lived in the same community. They were the same color. They had about the same economic situation. They had the same educational background. They were mono-ethnic culture. 
and the church was growing and there's nothing wrong with the church of Jesus Christ growing. But the problem, can you put that back on the screen for me, please? The problem with the homogenous unit principle, the problem with this homogeneous unit principle is that despite the good intentions Despite the good intentions of those interested in rapidly reaching the world for Jesus, the principle has unintended side effects. One of those is justifying the segregation of local churches along ethnic and economic lines. The fact is, this has led us even further away from the principles and the practices that God describes for us later in the book of Acts in not a mono-ethnic church, but a multi-ethnic church that, that was explained to us, and I'm gonna help us capture this today so we don't go down the wrong road. That was described for us in the book of Acts. Churches in which the love of God for all people was on display. Churches in which diverse believers learn to walk and work and worship together as one. Why? So that the world would know God's love and they would believe. I went to college um, in Missouri. We had our, our children born in, in Missouri. And we, I was a school teacher in Missouri in public school system for a while before the Lord called me into full-time pastoral ministry. And then I was a pastor at a couple of communities on staff at a couple of communities in Missouri. If you look at any license plate in the state of Missouri, you'll see that Missouri, anybody from Missouri, raise your hand. You'll know, you know, of course, Trent's like, yeah, yeah that, you just said everybody was, yeah. Um, you, you look on any license plate and it says, show me state. People make fun of, and when they say that, yeah, you got to be shown everything. You don't know how to do nothing. There's just all kinds of jokes that people make. It's the show me state. And it took me a while of living there because I wasn't born and raised in that state. But it took me a while before I realized, oh, that's what that means. The show me state. You say you're a hard worker? Show me. You say you're a good dad? Show me. You say that you're, you're, you're going to provide for your family? Well, then... Show me that you're going to provide for your family. You say you're a, you're a good, moral, upstanding. Don't be telling me. Show me. That's the principle. I believe that we are at a crossroads as a church, as the church in the United States. I believe that I actually have a voice in this. In, in the, the, uh, the, the life that I've lived, the cultures and places that God has put us in, the people that I've been introduced and the people that I, I mentor, the new church planners across this state and around this region that I get the opportunity to sow into. We're at a crossroads in the church because people in our culture no longer find credibility in the message of God's love for all people when it is proclaimed from a segregated church. I believe that in these changing times, those without Jesus will not respond to platitudes, but rather to practice. Not words, but an authentic witness of God's love for all people that is daily on display by the actions that we have. In other words, show me. 
That's the world that we live in. And I believe this witness is best made manifest through a healthy multi-ethnic church. How do we know if we're a healthy multi-ethnic church? Well, in my research that I've done and reading, statistically, somebody has put a stat to this, statistically, when a church is 80% or more the same ethnicity or race, it is defined as a mono-ethnic church. We at New Life Church are intentionally not that. God has blessed us with people from many different ethnic and economic and educational backgrounds. And for that, I say, thank you, God. You've been good to us. But let me be very, very clear about something. My desire as your under-shepherd to establish a multi-ethnic church is not rooted in racial reconciliation. It is not rooted. Now, am I a fan of racial reconciliation? Yes, of course I am. I long for all races to be reconciled one to another. But my desire to have a multi-ethnic church found at New Life is rooted in reconciling all men and all women to faith in Jesus Christ. It's about reconciling the local church. It's about reconciling the local church congregations in principles and practices of the New Testament congregations of faith. In other words, we're not who we are because that's just who we want to be. We're either following the book or we're not following the book. There's only two options. And as for me and my house, we will follow and serve the Lord. The church that I'm speaking about is the church best described in the book of Acts, not as the church of Jerusalem, although God did amazing things through that mono-ethnic church, the Jewish converts that lived together, that looked alike, that talked alike, had the same hobbies, the same cultural upbringings, probably lived in a very small bubble. God did things through that church, but the church that I think God is more in favor of is the church that's mentioned later in the book of Acts called the church in Antioch. Antioch is a, is a community, right? It's a, a city, a, a region, and so this is the church that was established there. This church in Antioch is what I'd like to spend a couple minutes talking about. It was a multi-ethnic church where men and women... Men and women, I, I still get hung up on the fact that women are considered subservient to men in many Christian churches. Knock it off. We're all, I don't understand. We're all created equal in the eyes of God. If you don't think you can learn something from a woman, I, you're, you need to be redeemed. We're gonna love you because we're a multi-ethnic church that believes in loving all kinds of people, but we are not gonna back down from this principle. The church in Antioch was multi-ethnic where men and women from various backgrounds came together with what? With great compassion, to obey the great commandment and to fulfill the great commission. Their unity of heart and mind and purpose, it resulted in something. It resulted in a great expansion of the gospel and accomplishing the will of God on earth as it is 
in heaven. One day when the trumpet call of God is heard and the voice of the archangel thunders and echoes across the globe, the dead in Christ are gonna rise first. Jesus is coming to get his church and the church that he's coming after is a church that is without spot, without wrinkle and without blemish. It is a glorious church and I propose to you that it is the church of Antioch that Jesus is looking for us to model our church after. I'm, do, I'm gonna do some teaching this morning for a little bit. And I'd like you to, there's gonna be some scriptures on the screen. This, if this is in your way, well, just lean. Um, but I, I'd like to introduce you to some things, uh, uh, just three kind of points here. This, this church in Antioch, it was first envisioned by Jesus. So open your Bible, if you would, please. We're all using, by the way, you don't go to school without a textbook. You don't come to church without your Bible. Um, and the Bible can be in the form of your phone. It's fine, open it up, but we want you to make sure you're looking at scripture. Why? Because you're not to take my word for it. You're, you're to read it for your study to show yourself approved, right? Don't, don't be trusting, just trust the Lord. Read it for yourself. We're looking today at John chapter 17, just four verses. This is a prayer that Jesus prayed. Before he went to the cross and gave his life for us, he was praying for his disciples, the people that were walking with him, and then he prayed for all believers everywhere. Guess what? You are this. So let's listen to what he said, Jesus' words. My prayer is not for them alone. He's talking about his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, and that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, May they also be in us. If you underline in your Bible, would you underline the words, so that? Also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. So that, there it is again, underline those two words, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So that, so that, the words so that, both places, verse 21, I believe in 23, um, that is the Greek word in the original language, hina, H-I-N-A. And it is an if-then propositional truth. What? It is an if-then propositional truth. So it, uh, I don't even know why we have that. Um, <laughs> if X, then Y, right? It's an if-then propositional truth. It's a truth. In other words, this is guaranteed, guaranteed. This is on God. Jesus said, why? If that's not guaranteed, that's on us. But Jesus made, by the way, he'll never break a promise. He's the ultimate promise keeper. He's never broken one. He never will break one, but he's given us a promise. If you do X, then I will do Y. 
I love if then propositional truths. I love when Jesus kind of throws down the gauntlet and says, this is what you do and then I'll do, okay, I believe you, then I will obey you. Now, what we should do is if he just says to do it with no why, we should do it because we love him, right? But I do love those times when he says, I'll do this if you do, okay, okay, that helps me even more, right? Because so, I'm human. If you do this, then if is the what? Jesus, we just read it, if you are unified to the believers, if you're unified, if you don't have a racial bone in your body, if you do not have any bigotry inside of you, if you value Middle Eastern Christ followers, Asian Christ followers, Pacific Islander Christ followers, black and white and Native American, if you value Hispanic Christ followers, it, whatever it is, indigenous people group Christ followers as much as you do yourself, if you are unified, then I'm gonna do this. And what did he say that then is? Then men and women are going to recognize, number one, that Jesus, that I am, that Jesus is the Messiah. They're gonna recognize. He's the Messiah. That is a guaranteed. And part two of that, Jesus said, men and women are gonna respond to God's love. They're gonna receive eternal life through faith in Jesus. In other words, they're gonna get saved. People are gonna get born again. They're gonna want what you got because you're unified. I'm telling you, there's power in this unified, in this unity that God is calling us to as believers. Are we different? Sure we are. Do we talk different? Do we have different stylistic things? Do we have different kind of methods? Yes, yes, and yes. So what? We all believe in Christ crucified. We all believe in the blood of Jesus. We all believe in redemption, the redemptive power of God found in faith through Jesus Christ. In that, in that unity, Jesus said, man, people are gonna know I'm the Messiah and people are gonna get born again. Is that what you want? That's exactly what I want. So Jesus envisioned this church in Antioch. He's like, you gotta get along. You gotta love each other. You gotta respect each other. You can't look down on anybody. You're not better than anybody else. And neither am I. Hmm. There's no room for racism or prejudice or bigotry in this church or in this church. It was not only was it, was it, was it envisioned by Jesus, but number two, um, it was uh, defined by Luke. Who's Luke? Luke was a, was a doctor. He was a physician. Luke wrote, get this, the book of Luke, okay? Um, in addition, he wrote the book of Acts, right? So the book of Acts, let me talk about the book of Acts real quick. The book of Acts was, I told you, the, the birthday of the church. Um, it's when the church was born. The book of Acts is the only book in the Bible that doesn't have a closing to it. It's got 28 chapters, and then it just stops. If you read the 28th chapter, you're just like, well, it just stops. What, you didn't even say goodbye. Luke didn't say, sincerely, Dr. Luke. He didn't say anything like that. It just, it ends. The reason it ends is because the church age is still going. Until Jesus returns, we are living in the book of Acts. So we are really Acts 29ers. That's what we are. We're living the 29th chapter of the book of Acts. Hallelujah, right? Now, you're not to add anything to the book or take anything away from the Bible, but I'm just telling you, that's what we're living. And so Luke defined for us this church that we should model our, are y'all good? Say yes, right? That we should model our church after in the book of Acts. So we're looking now at Acts chapter 11. 
Oh, I'm just excited about this. Are you ready? Verse number 19. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only, what, only, what, only among the Jews. Stop. So in the book of Acts, Jesus ascended into heaven. People watched him go and like, where'd he go? Well, they're like, did he not tell you to go wait in the upper room? So they go wait in the upper room. They spend the 120, spend the time and the Holy Spirit falls and descends upon them. Peter preaches the good news. People get saved. Peter and John go to the church on the way to the temple to pray. They walk by a guy that's been lame. He's paralyzed. He can't walk since birth. They're like, I don't have any money to give to you. You're begging to me, but silver and gold I don't have, but such as I have, give I thee. Stand up and walk in the name of Jesus. And he walks and he leaps and he dances around and a miracle takes place and everybody sees it. The church is on fire. But now resistance to the church has really blossomed and they begin persecuting the church and they start with a lot of people, but Stephen is one of them. Stephen was an active follower of Jesus. They, they martyred him. They stoned him to death. They, they threw rocks at him until, can you imagine how painful that would be? Then the Christians were scattered all over the place. By the way, in the history of the world, The greatest times and seasons of revival for the church was when the church was under intense persecution. It was not in its abundance, but it was in its persecution that the church has grown. And so in this, which you could probably learn a lot of lessons from that, but that's a whole nother message in and of itself, right? In this time of persecution, the church has been scattered, but the church didn't go in hiding. Wherever they were scattered, they began to tell people about Jesus. And that's the story we're reading up, up to this point in the Bible, and it's re- in the book of Acts. And it's really exciting to me. But except when they spread out, it says they began spreading their message to just the Jews. Some, though, some of them, Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, to foreigners, to people that didn't look like them, people different skin color, people different um, uh, cultural habits and nuances and people that didn't have the same money and the same necessarily, even the same values, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem. The church, remember this church in Jerusalem? This mono-ethnic church? News of this revival reached the church in Jerusalem. And I'm sure they weren't going, oh, yes, that's what it's all about. They send out, they send out, and they're like, Barney, I want you to go, um, I want you to go check out what's happening in Antioch. But I'm sure, this is Troy, This is my theological vantage point. I'm sure that the church in Jerusalem wasn't going, man, that's amazing. Barnabas, go check that out and bring back a report. Tell us what God is doing around the world. No, it's like, would you go fix that? This is for us. This isn't for them. Barnabas goes, let's continue. I just love this book called the B-I-B-L-E. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number number of people were brought to the Lord. It's called revival. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul, who's now Paul, met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians, 
first at Antioch. They weren't called Christians in Jerusalem. They were first called Christians in, in Antioch. Luke is describing this, and if you continue reading in this, in this chapter, you're gonna discover that the church in Antioch, not the church in Jerusalem, found out that there were other Christians in other lands, in foreign lands, believers that were being persecuted, that didn't have anything, stuff was being taken away from them. So they're the first church to ever take them an offering for Christians in another land. That's what it says. If you keep on, oh, stop, Troy. That's not even gonna be on the screen. Chapter 13, verse number one, one verse. You're gonna read this. I guarantee you're gonna go, eh, like we read a lot about the Bible. Let me help you with this. Verse number one. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. This is the pastoral staff in the church in Antioch. Y'all with me? Say yes, right? All right, so they're prophets and teachers, and Barnabas and Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who had been brought up from Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Well, big, hairy deal, you're thinking. What did we just learn from that? Well, the pastoral leadership team, not from Jerusalem, the mono-ethnic church, but from Antioch, the multi-ethnic church, was made up of two men from Africa, probably dark-skinned, was made up from one person from the Mediterranean. Pastoral leadership team had one person that was Asian and one person from the Middle East. This is a multi-ethnic leadership team that was leading the church in Antioch and I love seeing that in the word of God. It was the church in Antioch, not the church in Jerusalem that was the first church, if you continue reading the Bible, to send missionaries out to other parts of the world thinking outreach, thinking what can we do to reach and to serve and to, and to equip and to encourage people to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's not an internal church, it's an external church that God calls the glorious church. Don't you tell me that it's all about us meeting in this location alone. It is about God telling us to do anything you can short of sin to reach people who do not know Jesus Christ. It is a multi-ethnic church of Antioch, not this homogeneous unit principle of the church of Jerusalem that serves as the model for church development for you and me. Ultimately, it wasn't just envisioned by Jesus and defined by Luke, but it was um, prescribed by Paul. Who's Paul? Paul is the author of basically the rest of the Bible. He's the author of most of the, the rest of the New Testament. He was an apostle of Jesus, um, radically got saved after he had been persecuting Christians, but it was prescribed by Paul. Again, in your Bible, in your sword, open it up to Ephesians chapter three. This is absolutely mind-blowing. Are y'all with me? Say yes. yes. For this reason, and I wanna, I wanna, I'm gonna actually break away and read this to you on the screen because you got to see this. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, oh, there it is. There, it, did you ever, did you miss that? Did you see what that is? That is a hyphen. Do you know what that means? Paul had ADD, I'm telling you, yes. Be just like me that's been passed to the fourth and fifth generation in my family. Um, what is, I want you to, in your Bible, if you would do this with me, you don't have to, but if you will put parentheses around verse number two, all the way to verse number 13. Verse number two to verse number 13. Paul was 
talking to the people. Uh, this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of the Gentiles. Hey. And then he goes, it's like he switches very quickly. He has this momentary uh, lapse. He interrupts himself. Why? If we continue reading, we will discover that this interrupting himself, I don't know, he's writing this letter. So it's not like he can read the room, but it's like he interrupts himself in the middle of writing it. And, and then he, he says, um, I'm reminding the congregation that I'm writing to of this apostolic mission that God has got me on. This, this we're, we're trailblazing something new here. And, and he begins to define this. And, and check this out. He says, in the middle of this, this, this uh, momentary interruption to himself, he says, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the, there it is, mystery made known to me by revelation. As I have already written bri about briefly, in reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations. In other words, nobody's heard this before. This is hot off the press, Paul is saying. This came straight from the Holy Spirit, straight from the heart of God. You, nobody has heard this before. And I'm sure the people that are reading this in the church, all of a sudden, everybody is leaning forward. What mystery is Paul gonna say? And I bet if they stop there, somebody would be like, I know what he's gonna say. He's gonna talk about the grace of Jesus Christ. He's gonna talk about how he was crucified, dead, buried, rose from the dead, and victoriously over sin, hell, and the grave. I know that's what he's gonna, and that's the greatest story there is. But that is not the mystery that Paul is fixing to reveal to the church in Ephesus. Let's continue reading. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles, the foreigners, people with different colored skin, people with different cultural backgrounds, people with different money in their pockets, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. This was mind-blowing to the church revealed by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. These foreigners, Paul is saying, they have the same free access to God through Jesus Christ. In other words, salvation is available to everyone who would believe. To every black and white and Native American and Latino and Asian and Pacific Islander and Middle Eastern and Russian and Slavic and indigenous people group. Everyone. So I got to bring the plane to a land, but as you can tell, I'm very passionate about this. During the month of February, as our nation is going to be reflecting, you're going to hear a lot of people that are talking, talking points about Black History Month. But as we reflect on this nation's, I think in many ways, tremendous strides, but also we have to face the fact that there's a shameful past that we have dealing with slavery and bigotry and prejudice. May we all be reminded that Jesus Christ died for all people of all nations, of all backgrounds, for all of our sins. During the season of COVID, I was at home a lot, as you guys were. 
And I decided I'm gonna take a little season to write in the middle of the racial injustice and all the nut job stuff that was happening around our, our nation. And you, most of you know that I wrote this little book called A Pledge Allegiance. And, and I really, am a, I'm a patriotic American, but I'm first and foremost a committed follower of Jesus Christ. But I found in the Pledge of Allegiance, the 31 words in the Pledge of Allegiance, almost a doctrine in it, um, a standard for our nation. And I wrote about each one of the phrases in here, and it's, you can pick up a copy if you want to, but it's not a shameless plug. But my whole point is that we are one nation. Under God, we are not divided. We are indivisible with liberty and justice for all for everybody. May that be the nation that we're supposed to be, that we're destined to be. May we act like it. May we be doers and not just hearers today. And may the example of the church of Antioch be the benchmark for our church until Jesus Christ returns. Let's pray. Mighty God, thank you for your word. It will not, it will not return void. Thank you, God. Lord, um, in this moment of quiet reflection, in this moment of consideration, we, we bow our hearts and our heads, we close our eyes and we reflect on the heritage that we have through our family of origin. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed and no one looking around for a moment, I wonder if you were raised in a home that embedded in you, and I'm not dogging your parents or your grandparents, but that embedded in you some form of prejudice or racism or bigotry that was perhaps unintended, but it still was there. I'm challenging you, and I will not have you raise your hand, and I will not have you come forward, but I do want you to think about this and give it to the Lord. Say, Jesus, I have fallen short. I think of John Newton as he's standing on top of that slave ship that he's the captain of. And he's hearing, he's hearing the, the song being hummed as it was displayed for us on the screen that did not have any words. And I wonder at what point he heard and realized that these are human beings that have worth and value in the eyes of God. And I wonder what it took to bring him to his knees. And I wonder what it was when he repented. And then after that, I wonder what it was that inspired him. So it had to have been the sounds that he heard from down below. And he pinned the words, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. May we have the same encounter with our Lord. May we recognize the wretched man and woman that we are, but in the eyes of Christ, we can be redeemed. So Lord, we give it all to you today. All of it, all of it. We face the giant and there's no yeah buts. It is simply God unified unity in your church, it is simply God. We recognize that Jesus came for all, died for all, raised for all. Thank you, Lord, that we have an opportunity to be a part of your glorious church in the precious, holy, incredible, awesome, lovely name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said amen, amen. and amen, and amen. 
Thank you for letting me talk about a sensitive subject, but a very, very important subject. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you rest and may he give you peace. God bless you, new life. Listen, wear your colors next week. There's only one color to wear. That is red and yellow, baby, right? Red and yellow. The blood of Jesus, absolutely. Let's, let's get ready for this. Uh, I told you before, they soar on wings like eagles, but Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Somebody say amen. All right, have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week for our tailgate party. Amen, amen, amen. <laughs>